As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. It is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to episode 21 of Straight A Nursing. So today we're going to be talking about something that I developed when I was a student. It's a systematic way of looking at the information you need to absolutely know for different disease processes. And before I get into all of that, I just want to say that if you're struggling with case studies, if you find that they're taking you forever because you're all over the place with what you're looking up, what you're writing about, what you're trying to learn, this can help you immensely. And if you're also just studying in general, you know, a certain disease process, and you feel like, oh my gosh, there's so much information, I don't really know what to focus on, this method can help you treat tremendously. Once I started using this, I was able to really organize my thinking and it made remembering the things I needed to remember so much easier. And now as a nurse, I find that I can use this information and this method as I go along and as I take care of patients. So this is called latte, just like the coffee though it has really nothing to do with coffee, except that when I came up with it, I was sitting at my desk and really struggling with going way overboard on my case studies. And I looked at the coffee sitting on my desk and I thought, there's got to be a way for me to organize my thinking. And I came up with LATTE. So that is an acronym, you guys. And that is L-A-T-T-E. So each letter represents a portion of this thought process so that you can really hone in on what you need to know for a specific disease process. So I'm going to go through it with you. We'll use COPD as an example. If you're a first semester nursing student, COPD is something that you will be learning about, so you'll be able to understand what I'm talking about as we go through. And if you're beyond that, and COPD is, you know, a cakewalk for you at this point, then you can at least just get introduced to the method. I have some samples on the straightanursingstudent.com website for some things that are a little more complex. I've got liver failure, ARDS, and sepsis up there, all written out in this in the latte format. But for this purpose, let's just go with something. I'm not going to say COPD is simple, but something a little more common that you're going to see and that you'll definitely be covering in your med surge one class. So latte, L-A-T-T-E. The first L stands for look. So I want you to think about what will this patient look like? So as the nurse, you walk in the room, you've got a patient with COPD. What do you expect them to 
look like. So this is their kind of their presenting signs and symptoms, what you observe as you're talking to them, looking at them, assessing them. So the patient with COPD is going to look like they're short of breath, okay? If they're having an exacerbation, they may have uh, a barrel chest. This is pretty common in patients with COPD, especially as it goes on along the path of pathophysiology. You'll see that barrel chest, They may be doing pursed lip breathing, which is a breathing technique taught to patients with COPD to help them get that air out. They may have increased work of breathing, so you may see them working really hard, maybe a chronic cough. You might be able to hear wheezes. Most likely you'll be able to hear wheezes, but not always. Sometimes you may not. They may have edema in the lower extremities, and they could be um, on oxygen. So you want to know what your patient with COPD is going to look like. They may have clubbing of their nails. If they've been chronically hypoxic for a long time, their nails will club. Um, And, you know, what else can I tell you? Low O2 sats on the monitor, things like that. So that's L. What's your patient going to look like with whatever disease process you're looking at. And then A is for assess. What are you going to assess on this patient? So basically what this is asking is what data do you absolutely need? So you're going to listen to their lung sounds. You may hear uh, crackles if they've got atelectasis in the bases, which is kind of a common thing with COPD. When you look at the monitor, the uh, SpO2 is going to be low. If it's 88 or above, we typically don't get nervous with COPD because COPD patients are kind of chronically hypoxic. Their body's pretty much adjusted to an O2 sat of 88. So you'll often see that as kind of the lower uh, parameter as acceptable for a patient with COPD. But if they're having an exacerbation, you might see a sat in the low 80s or the mid 80s or even lower. COPD can be very scary. You will want to assess how many breaths per minute And you want to get a little bit of a history, find out if they smoke, do they use oxygen at home, what meds are they taking, things like that. So A is for assess, the things you're going to assess on your patient. And then what tests are going to be ordered? So that's the first T in latte test. So knowing what tests are going to be ordered, not because you're the one putting in the orders, the physician does that, but knowing what tests are going to be ordered so you know what to anticipate happening or you know what to go looking for as you're digging through the chart. So probably an ABG if they're having an acute exacerbation. Chest x-ray, definitely. So just for any disease process, knowing what tests are going to be ordered, um, including lab tests, diagnostic tests, imaging studies, anything like that, just knowing which ones correlate with which disease process. And then the next T is what treatments are you going to provide? So these would be your nursing interventions And the things that the doc is going to order, again, not that you're 
ordering them. And this is where nursing and medicine get a little convoluted because the nurse is kind of expected, especially um, you'll notice this in nursing school and it was really frustrating for me. Nurses don't diagnose or prescribe, but then they ask you all these questions so that you should still know what they'll be prescribed or, or treated with. So it gets a little bit fuzzy and that you should know these things, but you're not the one putting in the orders for them. So what treatments for the second tea and latte are you going to provide? And this is everything from sitting the patient in high Fowler's position, right? Um, making sure they maintain adequate hydration. That's going to keep those secretions loose so they can cough them up and get them out. You might want to teach them um, how to use the incentive spirometer to keep the atelectasis out of the bases. You will want to um, teach, uh, provide them with oral care every couple of hours. Um, switching to a nasal cannula during meals so they can eat if they're on like a mask. So things like that. Just, you know, whatever you're going to do for the patient with uh, COPD, putting them on oxygen, etc. What meds? So, you know, there's albuterol, atrovent. Advair, you know, there's all these things, and I'm not going to go over all of them, but just focusing on what treatments you're going to provide. And then how are you going to educate the patient? That's the E in latte, because as nurses, we are educators, right? So some of the things, for example, that you would teach a patient with COPD is eating small meals frequently that are high in protein. So people with COPD, they expend a lot of energy on breathing. And so they use up a lot of their calories just breathing. But it's very difficult for them to eat because they can't catch their breath. So then they end up being cachectic, right? And losing weight. And then they don't have the energy reserves to support their respiratory effort. And it's just kind of this awful spiral. So if you can teach them to eat small meals, which they can typically handle, high in protein, and taking little rest breaks as they're eating and focusing on eating, not eating and chatting, but just eat a little bit, take your rest break, get your oxygen back on, and then eat again later. Um, you would also want to educate them about, you know, stop smoking, or if they don't know how to do pursed lip breathing, you're going to teach them that. If there's a special way for them to do their uh Breathing treatments at home, their inhalers, you want to teach them that. Some of them, you know, you have to rinse your mouth after and all of this. So that in a nutshell is latte, L-A-T-T-E. So L is how will they look? What are you going to see, hear, smell, whatever, when you walk in and look at that patient? What will you assess? How are you going to get more data? What do you need to monitor on this patient? T. For tests, know what tests are going to be ordered so that you can anticipate getting the patient A, ready for them, or B, knowing what to go look for, and in some cases, recommending them to the physician team. The second T, the treatments that you will provide, and then the E is how do you educate the patient. So that's basically latte. Do you guys want to do sepsis real quick? We won't do everything. Like we didn't do everything that you would do for COPD, but it was just a kind of a 
example, but I've got sepsis right here. So maybe we'll just go through it so you get another example of how latte can work with something a little bit more complicated. Disclaimer, I'm not going through every little thing about sepsis, but just a few of the highlights. So with your patient with sepsis, how will they look? So when you're working in the hospital, when you start your clinicals, you'll notice that there's a sepsis screen that you're going to do on all of your inpatient patients. And that's basically... Do they have a temp? Do they have a white count? What's their respiratory rate? What's their heart rate? What's their uh, oxygen level? All of those things. So they're going to meet this criteria for sepsis. Um, If they've got severe sepsis, they're probably going to be showing some pretty clear signs of organ dysfunction. And you'll see that mainly with hypotension and hypoperfusion. The big thing here is they'll have low urine output. So you're going to see a patient who looks pretty sick. Maybe their heart rate's up, the respiratory rate's up, they've got a temp, and they're not putting out urine. Okay, that is basic sepsis, okay? Again, disclaimer, it gets much more interesting than just that. But that's the L part, look. Some of the things that your patient will look like with sepsis. So how will you assess the patient with sepsis? You're going to keep a really close eye on their blood pressure, their urine output, and maybe you'll also want to keep a close eye on their mental status. So those are some of the things that you will assess on a patient with sepsis. How about the tests? What tests are going to be ordered for a patient with sepsis? So patients with sepsis, you're going to be looking at white count daily. You're going to be monitoring things like their lactate level. It's going to be elevated in sepsis. You're going to keep an eye on their kidney function. So the that creatinine level is going to become very interesting to you. The platelets are going to become very important to you, things like that. You'll also be doing um, a mixed gas, which I think I have a whole post about mixed gas. If I don't, I will make one because it's really interesting. And I'm not going to go into what that all is right now. But just knowing that that's something that you will um, be looking at as a test for things that will be used to monitor your patient. The patient will be pan-cultured. So this is another test that they'll be getting. That means that they're culturing the blood, the sputum, the urine, the any wounds, stool if you suspect C. diff, so things like that. And then um, a chest x-ray is pretty common with sepsis to look at the lungs. You want to make sure, A, we give a lot of fluid with sepsis. The fluid resuscitation is pretty intense. Some patients will get four, five, six liters of fluid. You want to just monitor the lungs because they can get a little bit backed up and then make it difficult to breathe. And then how about the next T? Which one is it? Right. It's treatments. Very good. So how is this patient with sepsis going to be treated? There's a whole bunch of things you do for sepsis, but I'm just going to give you the super short highlights. You're going to give fluids. You're going to fluid resuscitate this patient. You're going to give them antibiotics. You're going to start with the broad spectrum antibiotics within one hour of that positive sepsis screen. And then as those cultures come back or they the medical team gets more of a clue as to what their actual problem is, those antibiotics will be tailored more specifically for those organisms. 
if they're hypotensive, after the fluids are given, they're going to be on vasopressors, which is a med surge 2 topic, which we can talk about at length in another podcast or blog post. Um, there you go. That's enough for, for this sample. There's a lot to do for sepsis. It's a really interesting disease process. And then the last letter is E for educate. How do you educate the patient or the patient's family with sepsis. So this patient, if they're in septic shock, they're going to be in the ICU. You obviously want to explain to them and their family why you're on such frequent monitoring and assessments. If they are intubated because we did fluid overload them, which is just part of it, or maybe they're in respiratory failure because they have a pneumonia. You want to explain why they're sedated, how the ventilator works, why we need it, how we're going to wean that ventilator. Are they restrained? Well, why are they restrained? How can we limit the restraints, etc.? You also want to educate the patient, you know, as they're improving and able to participate in education on how to notice signs of infection at home so they can seek medical attention sooner, hopefully. And... Anything else, you know, the meds they're taking, obviously, and that a lot of these education things are going to be universal and then the specific ones for each disease process as needed. So again, I hope that wasn't too fast and furious, but if you go to the website, straightanursingstudent.com, you can type into the search bar, type in latte, I believe there's going to be a few things that come up so you can check it out. People ask me all the time, do you have a um, template for latte that I can use? Really, you guys, you don't need a template. All you have to do is write L and then A and then T, T, E. Um, I know a lot of you like things to be pretty. I do too. But don't wait on me to make a template for you. By all means, start using latte and I really think it's going to help you organize your learning, organize your time, organize your brain so that you can learn the vast amount of information that you absolutely need to know to take care of these patients. And so speaking of latte, I'm going to share with you guys my amazing coffee recipe because you're students and you need excellent coffee. So I'm way into this started out being way into bulletproof coffee with the butter and all of that. But then I'm trying to do like a no dairy thing because I'm doing a whole 30 right now. And I've kind of been doing the no dairy thing for a while, except cheese sometimes is really irresistible, but I'm working on it. Anyway, so this coffee is dairy free and soy free, which is a big deal for me, gluten free and amazing. So technically, it's not Whole30 compliant because I do use Stevia. So any of you Whole30 purists out there, don't judge. Doing what I got to do to succeed. But for the best coffee ever that will give you good calories and sustain you for hours in the morning if you're not really a breakfast eater. So I brew about a half pot of coffee, maybe a little bit less, but about a half a pot. I throw that in my Vitamix. You don't necessarily need a Vitamix, but you do need a blender. And to that, I add a tablespoon-ish of raw cacao butter. Okay, this is amazing. This is what gives it the creamy, amazing deliciousness and lots of naturally occurring fats to give you incredible energy and satiety. I 
doubt I said that word right. So you can get that raw cacao butter. I've seen it at Whole Foods, but it's over in the like the raw food section where you find like the goji berries and the really weird raw sprouted bars, which I love raw foods, but some of those bars are weird. So look for it over there. It's not cocoa butter. It's cacao butter. Okay. You can also get it on Amazon and it's a little pricey, but you'll only use a little bit and it's so good. You're going to thank me. So to your half pot of coffee, add a tablespoon of cacao butter. And then I throw in a tablespoon of MCT coconut oil. And then I add two scoops of vital proteins, collagen peptides, which collagen peptides are kind of the end thing right now. So I feel really trendy sharing this information with you guys. Basically, it's got 20 grams of protein in that two scoops. It is completely flavor free. You don't even notice it. And it's supposed to be really good for your skin and, and your gut health and all of these things. So I just started using it. I will report back if I suddenly get really glamorous and amazing. I'll let you know. And then I put in a little vanilla flavored stevia an organic stevia from New Naturals that I love, which again, is not Whole30 compliant, but whatever, we're not going to tell anybody. And then you whiz all that up together in your Vitamix or your blender, and it makes a fair amount of coffee. And if you like a lot of coffee in the morning, this is perfect. It gives you your fats, it gives you your protein, it gives you about 300-ish calories. So really, I don't even eat breakfast on days that I have this coffee. I will get up at about 4.30 in the morning for work, have this coffee, and I don't eat till 11. I'm not even hungry. So there's my coffee recipe to go with the latte study method. So again, if you haven't visited the website yet and you found us somehow wonderfully by accident, then it is straightanursingstudent.com. Check it out. We've got all kinds of cool things going on over there, including a shop with some premium items that I'm creating and putting them up as they are created. So check that out. Go to the website and look for the shop. It's awesome. And check us out on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash straight a nursing student and follow on Twitter at straight a nurse. So have a great day, you guys. Let me know how latte works for you. If it totally changes your life like it did mine, I would love to hear about it. So have a fantastic day, study hard, and keep being amazing. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by straightanursingstudent.com. Copyright Mo Media. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment.